Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Economist. From The Economist in London, this is Money Talks, a weekly conversation about news in the worlds of business, finance, and economics. I'm Edward McBride, the finance editor. On today's show, we'll focus on Argentina's 15-year-old debt crisis, which appears finally to be coming to an end. Endless bickering with creditors after a mammoth default in 2001 had cut Argentina off from global bond markets and even prompted yet another default, Argentina's eighth in 2014. But at last, peace seems to be breaking out. Joining me to explain all of this are Dan Rosenheck, our data editor, who used to be based in Buenos Aires, and Brooke Unger, our America's editor. So, Dan, let's start with you. Why the sudden breakthrough? What's happened? Well, after 15 years of struggle, I think the key change was a change in power in Argentina. The default took place shortly before Nestor Kirchner took office in 2003. He was a nationalist, populist, left-winger who struck a very hard bargain, or really not a bargain. He just made a take-it-or-leave-it offer to the bondholders on whom Argentina had defaulted in 2001, and this group of bondholders decided to leave it and take it to the courts for what has now been 11 years. Uh, He left power, and then his wife took over and maintained the same uh, no negotiations, no concession stance. Finally, last year, she was uh, term limited and a conservative, much more market-friendly president took over, Mauricio Macri, who transparently told voters in the campaign that he planned to strike a deal. And three months after taking office, he has now accomplished just that. So there was the political disposition to strike a deal, but it's it's actually a very technical matter, right? It's gone through the courts. There have been a whole series of rulings, usually adverse rulings, against Argentina. It's been quite a complicated thing to unravel. What precisely has happened yesterday? Argentina has suffered a series of setbacks in the courts because it refused to pay these holdout creditors more than the bondholders who had accepted its offers were receiving. As a result of that, and in 2000, originally 12, an American judge who just got completely fed up with them imposed a completely unprecedented ruling that he would not let Argentina pay any of the bondholders who had accepted its deal unless Argentina also gave the holdouts what they wanted. And Argentina's response, therefore, was to not pay anybody. And that was where things have stood ever since 2014. There hasn't been really significant, any significant legal change since that cataclysmic default two years ago. But with the change of political will, the new president, Macri, has decided that returning to the markets and currying favor with uh, basically international lenders and securing new financing was worth the cost of, A, coughing up $4.65 billion to the holdouts, which he will finance by issuing new debt, and B, violating the principle that Argentina should not reward 
creditors who chose to fight it at the expense of those who chose to play nice. It sounds like, Dan, you see this as, as something of a, of a setback for creditors, or at least the creditors who did accept the restructuring. But it's surely a good day for Argentina, Brooke. I mean, this not only is the new president making good on his promise, but it also will sort of usher Argentina back into the the world of respectable creditors, right? Well, I think it is a good day for Argentina. I mean, uh, Macri, uh, since he was elected or took office in December, has made a series of pretty dramatic moves to reverse a lot of the populist policies that the Kirchners, the two of them, enacted during their 12 years in office. He uh, floated the exchange rate. He ended exchange controls. He lifted uh, export taxes, which were crippling Argentina's exports. And so this is one of a series of a number of measures to kind of return Argentina to some kind of economic normality. I mean, there's a price to be paid for these moves. I mean, one price is that you're stumping up more money to to your creditors than you thought you wanted to do. So that's clearly a price. And also, these new measures have had an impact on inflation. They've raised inflation, which was already high. And that's uh, both economically and politically painful. But it begins to move Argentina out of the the camp of countries that defy the rest of the world and cut themselves economically off from the rest of the world into a more more normal and reasonable set of economic policies. How will the deal go down within Argentina? It'll still need to be approved by Argentina's Congress, right? That's true. And one of the conditions of the deal is the so-called padlock law, which was passed under the former president, which prevents Argentina from paying the holdout creditors more than the other creditors got, that padlock law will have to be repealed. But I think the expectation is that Congress will, in fact, vote to repeal that law and clear the way for this deal to go through. Even though it is an opposition-held Congress that is he, still loyal to the, the Kirchners who refuse to sign such an agreement. Well, even though it's an opposition-held Congress, how loyal to the Kirchners they are is is another question. I mean, one of the um, – Macri has been fairly successful at dividing the opposition since he became president. And one of the impulses for going ahead with this deal is that some of the governors in Argentina who are themselves Peronists like Cristina Fernandez, they too want access uh, to the credit markets and they will um, help persuade uh, the the votes that they effectively control in Congress to, to vote with the president rather than to vote with the opposition, I suspect. Okay, so not the end of Argentina's problems then, but this deal sets a precedent that will have ramifications beyond Argentina, right? Certainly, this has been the most important, most bitter, longest lasting, most brutal, highest profile sovereign debt battle in recent memory. And the precedent set by the American judge uh, in 2012, confirmed by the American Supreme Court in 2014, that established a principle that if a sovereign debtor does not basically buckle to holdouts that they can't pay creditors who accept a deal either, completely sent shockwaves through the markets. And until now, the holdouts had been fighting and spending huge amounts of money on lawyers for over a decade and didn't have a cent to show for it. And the lesson seemed to be that whatever a government offers you, if that government is really determined to fight to the death, borrowers are sovereign and there's nothing you can do and you're better off taking whatever pennies they're inclined to donate to you. Now that precedent has been completely reversed and the lesson I think is that if you can find – a weakness in a debt agreement that enables you to press your claim in the courts, 
that if you fight long enough and hard enough and are willing to wait out changes of government, eventually you will find a government who is willing to pay up. I do think in the future, depending on how bond contracts are written, but I think it makes sovereign borrowers more vulnerable and it'll make restructurings harder. Right. So the judge in question, uh, the American judge you mentioned, Thomas Griesa, he's a, made the world safer for creditors, in effect. And he's also sparked a redesign of, of sovereign bonds, right? The new thing is that, is that they all carry clauses that say that if a certain proportion of the bondholders agree to a restructuring, then the re- restructuring is enforced on all of them, right? That's precisely to get around this situation. So um, years from now, when we've probably forgotten the names of Kirchner and Macri and so on, we, we may still be remembering what Thomas Griesa did to, to the world of sovereign bonds. I think I would actually contest one of the assumptions in your question, if I may, that Griesa made the world safer for creditors. I think I would argue the opposite. He made the world less safe for creditors because the vast majority of Argentina's creditors accepted the deal and then didn't get paid for two years. So I actually think of Griesa as a rather unfriendly judge to creditors. And on the broader point, I think that certainly the rise of collective action clauses, which, yes, enable a borrower to bind holdouts, to force creditors to accept a deal if a specified supermajority of debt, the owners of that debt, agree to it. That trend has been around for a long time and it it certainly predates Crusade and it predates uh, Argentina. It really stemmed from the same investors, in particular this hedge fund Elliott Management, which successfully sued countries like Peru and Congo Brazzaville in the 1990s for payment on their debt. Those victories led sovereign borrowers to realize that they needed to insert these kinds of collective action clauses in their bonds to protect themselves from these kind of attacks from, quote, unquote, vulture funds. However, these types of investors have very, very good lawyers and the wording of the clauses matters a lot. And there are stronger clauses and weaker clauses and there are clauses that apply to every type of bond versus just one type of bond. And I think this is going to be a legal arms race and sovereign borrowers will take new measures to protect themselves and holdout creditors will find new ways to get around them. So maybe not the end of the story in terms of drafting bond agreements, but also perhaps not the end of the story in in Latin America either, Brooke. Well, I mean, I was just wondering, and I'll ask Dan this because I suspect he knows the answer better than I do, uh, you know, whether Argentina is going to be sort of the last of these creditor crack-ups given that future bond agreements are likely to have these collective action clauses. And, you know, what what does the Argentina precedent mean also for Venezuela, which uh, many people think is going to have a, a default this year? Well, even if you believe that the latest round of borrower defenses, which are called aggregated collective action clauses that bind all different series of a country's debt are the last word and that no clever lawyer will ever be able to get around them. There are still tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars of debt already outstanding on the market that lack those protections. So the transition period is going to take Uh, years and probably decades, even if you think that the silver bullet has at last been found. And Venezuela will indeed be 
the first test case. Venezuela, unlike Argentina, has its debt split between debt issued by the government, which is sovereign, and debt issued by PDVSA, the state oil company, which is technically corporate but is owned by the state. So it's unclear whether that whether lawyers would be able to pierce that veil or not. I expect Venezuela to default. Uh, I could be wrong, but uh, the markets are certainly pricing it to default, mm-hmm. and at least on some of that debt. And when there are defaults, there are lawsuits. And funds like Elliott have, again, very smart investors and very smart lawyers who anytime a borrower goes into distress, they will be scrutinizing every last clause of those contracts. So I think that there will be a default. There will be lawsuits. In the end, when these cases, uh, sometimes the borrowers win or lose, sometimes the creditors win or lose, the people who will always win no matter what are the lawyers. So even if this is the end of the saga for Argentina, it may be the beginning of a fresh debt crisis for Venezuela. Uh, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you, Brooke. You can read our coverage of Argentina and its debts online at economist.com and in the forthcoming print edition of The Economist. And as always, you can find more coverage of the worlds of business, finance and economics at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.